Well, good morning and welcome everybody. How are you guys today on this Memorial Day weekend? You guys good? Yeah. Awesome. Those of you with us online, we're, well, we're welcoming you as well. And I uh, hope you're safe and warm and cold, whatever you want to be. We hope you're that. All right, everybody. My name is Danny Rivers and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at LifePoint. And we've been in this series called Anthem of Hope. And what we've been doing over the last five weeks is just kind of focusing in on an issue in our country that's such uh, a big deal. And that is our mental health, our emotional health, and ultimately our spiritual health. And we've been doing that for the last five weeks. We're going to wrap that up today. Uh, and I'm going to talk to kind of everybody, um, those of you who may be struggling right now, those of you who are not struggling at least right now. Um, we're going to talk to everybody, including our whole church community. And uh, so thank you for being here. Um, I'm, we're going to talk from a gospel story in John. And there's a man there who for 38 years has been stuck. 38 years is a long time to be stuck. Some of you haven't lived that long yet, so you don't have any idea how long that really is. But every day, the same old thing, waiting, watching, and hoping, and nothing changes. Sitting on his mat has become a way of life for this man. He's, his life is stagnant, and he is stuck here in ways that he never imagined possible. He's convinced, however, that someday... Um, life, new life, will sort of bubble up outside of him. In, in, in other words, something that's not part of him. And, and he thinks it's going to happen over there in, in, in a little pool, which they think is magic on, on some level. And so he sits on his mat waiting day after day, watching and hoping that things will change. There, there was this belief about this particular pool. Uh, it was a pool called Bethesda that it had healing properties and that it could change a person's life if they could get into it when, when the water started to bubble. Um, the, 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 the idea was that this angel would come down uh, once a year and stir up the water. And if you got into the water first, then your life would get changed. And so this man thinks one day, someday when I can get in that water, my life changes. But he won't move until he sees it. He's living a someday when kind of life. Someday when the water bubbles, then, then I'll get up off of my mat. Someday when I get to the water, my life will change and, and my problems will go away. But for now, he'll just keep waiting and watching and hoping. And over the years, the water has just become a kind of excuse to him to just not move at all, to not try anything new, but just to stay there day after day. Someday when, he keeps uh, reminding himself, the water will move. And my life will change. So I want to read to you the actual story from John, John chapter 5. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the fourth of the books of the Bible in the New Testament. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. They would have these festivals throughout the year to celebrate various things that God had done in the past. And so Jesus is at one of these. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate uh, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, these large porches, and lots of people were there, and we read on later. Um, next verse, please. Uh, next verse, please. Uh, let me just read it then. Um, yeah, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, it says, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, it's interesting to me that this guy 
has been waiting here for 38 years for just the right time. But the right time for him had never come. What's also interesting to me is when I start to think about people who get stuck in, in life now, not, not here, but now, we, we, a lot of us have the same issues. We, we think that real life, changed life, uh, full life, healthy life, whole life is just somewhere out there outside of ourselves someday when. Some of us know what this is like because we actually have said this out loud uh, to ourselves or maybe to other people and we'll say some, someday when this happens, some days when I get through this season, someday when I get this much money, then something good will happen. So we'll say things like someday when, when all this pandemic stuff is over, then I'll take some steps forward. Someday when I have more time, someday when I have more money to get the help that I need with my issues right now, someday when I meet that right person who can just kind of be a mentor to me and walk me through this season, someday when I feel better about myself or when I get through this time in my life, someday when I get over this grief and this loss, I don't feel sad anymore. Someday when, and we fill in the blank for whatever your someday is. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I want you to think about this. Life gets put on hold. And we get stuck because the button has been pushed. The pause button has been pushed. And we sit on our proverbial mat, self-imprisoned by circumstances of life, by sadness, by fear, by anxiety, by pain, by grief, by depression. And someday when something out there happens, and this guy does this for 38 years. You think at year two, he thought he'd still be waiting 36 years later. But it brings up this point for you and I, because we can tend to think, yes, I am in trouble. Yes, I'm having some issues in my life right now, but it won't last forever. And someday it'll just magically take care of itself and I'll move on. And sometimes that happens, but a lot of times we just stay stuck. We never take the first and the next right step. And so here's what Jesus happened. When Jesus saw him, lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asks him, do you want to get well? Now, if it were you, what would have been the first thing you would have said? Yes, right? But this man's like mental prison has been so long with him that when Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? He doesn't say yes. Instead, he just offers a bunch of excuses about Nobody will put me in the water. And when the water bubbles, other, other people beat me there. They, they cut in line, uh, whatever. They cut me off at, in traffic. Come on, can I get a witness to somebody? And, 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 and let me say this before I go on here. This is not to diminish anything that you're going through. Like if you've been through this whole season with us, you know that's the last thing we would ever want to do. This is not to say that your circumstances are irrelevant or have had no effect on you. That's just not true. Our circumstances affect us deeply. And, and this man has been harmed by circumstances maybe that were from his own child birth. Maybe he was born paralyzed. But I want to say this because it's important. We are, however, more than our circumstances. We are more than what we've done wrong. We are more than what's happened to us. We are more than that. And that's my point here. And the water for him has become the excuse. Someday when the water's right, then I'll get healing. Then I'll get help. And you have to know this. You have to know this. Getting help and getting healing for whatever is going on in your life will always be met at first with some mental wrestling. The excuses, 
The someday whens will speak louder to you oftentimes than the actual truth that all you need to do is take the first right step. Now, as is almost always the case in the Bible, when you're reading the scriptures and you find that there was a miracle of healing or, or deliverance or whatever, it's God who does this work. God delivers, God heals, God does the miraculous. But if you'll read the stories, almost always God involves the people themselves in the process of their own miracle. Almost, almost always. And as we've been saying throughout this series, there's always gonna be a God part. We're in church. We know that there are, we, we need mental health professionals. We need doctors. We need medication. And if that's you, you gotta go do that. You gotta take care of that. But we know that there's also gonna be a God part involved. But we've also been saying that there's always gonna be a you part as well. But then in verse seven, we notice there's another part. Do you want to get well, Jesus asks. And here's what the man says specifically. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While while I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Notice these words. I have no one to help me. So, So far, what we know is that this guy is using the water as an excuse not to move. We've seen that. We've talked about that. As a matter of fact, anytime I've ever heard this, mess, this text preached, it's always kind of like downing the guy a little bit. Like you didn't even want to say yes to wanting to get well, right? But I'm guessing this part, he's not lying about this. I have no one to help me. Now, think about this story if, if you've studied the Bible at all, you know that there's, some, there's something called parables, and these are G, stories that Jesus would construct to teach larger truths, but this is not one of those. This is a real story. This is a story that John, who's writing this, uh, may have actually seen happen with his own eyes. And the question that's bothered me all week as I was working through this, this text is, is why? Why over 38 years of his suffering, why does nobody help this guy? Why, why would nobody help a man that obviously needs help? And this is, a, this is an incredibly public space that he's in, this pool Bethesda. In fact, the word Beth, the first part of Bethesda, means house of mercy or house of grace. But clearly, this particular area is anything but. No one would help this guy. No one would show this guy mercy. And, and I was thinking, what kind of people lived here? Like, what, what, what an indictment to those in his community. No one would help him? Seriously? Right? What an indictment to those who perhaps had been healed in times past in the water. They got there. None of them ever come back and say, hey, I got to go help him, man. He's been here way longer than a lot of us. Nobody comes back. What kind of community is this? Now, here's the sad truth about our day. The same thing could be said of the modern American church that when people were in our midst, in our own house of grace and mercy, and when they were going through the worst seasons of their lives in terms of their mental health or their emotional or their spiritual health or the worst seasons of life when they've suffered for some reason, that they were here and that they came here and they left and they said, well, there was no one there to help me. Church, those of you who call this home, may may it never be said of us that people came to us stuck on the mat like this guy was and whatever that that means to them 
And none of us noticed their pain or their troubles or the fact that they were stuck, that they had no one to help them get into the water, so to speak, that they had no one there to walk with them through their grief, through their depression, through their mental health issues. May this place, may this place become a house of grace and mercy. May that be true of LifePoint Church. But here's the issue. It's, it's the issue is this. This is a, a huge issue in our country. This is a huge issue in our military right now. Men and women suffering, struggling. We've seen that suicide rates have gone up dramatically uh, over the last year and over the last years, even in terms of our own military, even as we're celebrating and remembering folks who have, have lost their lives uh, on Memorial Day weekend, that there are people among us who are suffering and nobody, nobody seems to know what to do. And so what do we do as a community of believers? What do we do as a community online? What do we do? I think we just follow the lead of Jesus. So, so very early on in Jesus's ministry, um, we read this in the text that he had wrapped up a 40-day fast. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you've been down that road, not me. Come on, I ain't been on a 40-day fast. Look at it, brother. There's a reason I look like this, right? And, and so here he is and he's, we learn from the story that he's out in the wilderness, not eating anything, and he's, he's actually getting tested, tempted, the Bible says, by, by, by the devil, by Satan himself. And so he comes through that season, but he doesn't come through without being a little bit weary and exhausted, it says at the end of the text, that he was exhausted, he was weary. And by the way, this is how I feel after like four hours of not eating something, exhausted and weary. Can I get a witness, somebody? No carne guisada, no big red, like I'm dying over here. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Anyway, anyway, that's my issues. Uh, he comes back to his hometown in, in Nazareth, and he shows up at the local synagogue to worship. The Bible says that this was his custom, meaning this was what he did. This is what he did. By the way, if Jesus felt the need to go to church, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He did it on a regular basis. It's Jesus. He went, he went to church. Anyways, just throwing that out there. Just dropping that a little bit. The, all the folks that are out there at the beach right now watching, those of you who are getting stung by jellyfish because you didn't come. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're happy you're there. Come on. We're happy you're there. Uh, we're just bitter that we're not. See? Um. So, so anyways, he walks in and somebody hands him the scroll. And so we have a Bible and some of you have Bibles on your phones now and you don't even carry a real paper Bible. But in this day, they had scrolls and somebody hands him the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah being one of the books of the Old Testament. So Jesus grabs the scroll, and scroll, it's big, he unrolls it uh, to, to a, a passage of scripture that in our Bibles is Isaiah 61, verse 18. And he reads it out loud, but now this is Luke recording this. Luke is one of the writers of the Gospels. And here's what Luke says, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Now, oppression happens in our day in real ways where, where people groups are oppressed, where certain people are oppressed for, for skin color, for whatever the case is. But this is also a spiritual term, meaning the enemy, the Bible says that the, our spiritual enemy comes to oppress us. Like it's, it's a function of the mind not functioning right. He's come to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus reads this. He rolls the scroll back up. He puts it down. He sits down and he says, today this passage has been fulfilled in your presence. It was like a mic drop. You know what I'm saying? Like, boom. Like, he, he says, 
the Messiah is coming and Isaiah says, this is what he's gonna do. And oh, by the way, I'm him and this is exactly what I'm going to do. And we read the stories, we see this is what he does. He stands with those who suffer. He binds up the brokenhearted. He's gonna free the captives. He's gonna release the prisoners. I'm gonna stand with those who are suffering. And he does this. And now he commissions those of us who follow him to do the same thing. It's interesting to me when you study through the history of, of the medical community, if you study the practices of medicine, you find that the Christian church as, has, as an institution, been caring for sick people for almost 2,000 years. Many of you probably don't realize this, but the very first hospitals that we ever find in history were created by some of the very first Christians. If you go to places like China and Japan, you find that their very, very first hospitals in their history were brought to them by Western missionaries, Christian missionaries, that this has been part of the mission of Jesus, of preaching and teaching, but healing, like bringing healing. And so that's what these people did. But I think it's easy for us to say as individuals, well, we'll let the professionals deal with that. Like, we're not professionals. I'm just like, a, I do this kind of work. I don't, I don't do that kind of, I'm not a medical person. I don't know how to do that. I think that's a terrible mistake. And I think that we've all kind of done this. And this is what we see the man in the text do. Well, someday when I know more, someday when I have more time, I'll volunteer, I'll help, I'll work with, these fo- with, with folks. So we say to ourselves and we comfort ourselves and think, I don't know how to do that. Well, let's let the professionals do it. In the process of people like you and me, just regular people, not stepping up and doing our part, the church has been removed from the very place we're supposed to be. The church isn't a building, by the way. This is a building. We are the church. The church goes out into the community. The church makes a difference in the community. We don't do that here by bringing people here. We bring people here to say, hey, let's get out there and make a big old difference. That's why we're feeding SA this, this, these couple of weeks. We've got a health and wellness fair happening this Saturday right here. We're partnering with some local community, some health providers are coming in to the community to, to help. It's not just about, hey, bring everybody in the room. It's like, hey, take everybody in the room and send them out there. That's what we do. And I'm not here to beat anybody up, right? But, but if you want to help, like you're like, dude, we just came for Memorial Day weekend and the guy's beating us up the whole time. Tell us how much of a failure we are. No, no, no. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because this is me too. But if you want to help and you're like, I don't know how to help, how do I partner with other people who are struggling? Number one, you just have to have compassion. It starts there. If you don't care, you're not going to go. You're not going to show up. So, so, so Jesus says in Luke, um, I think it's 6, 36, he says, you must be compassionate just as your father is, what? Compassionate. We don't, we don't have to have a, be a huge church with tons of money to, 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 to offer care. We just have to care, right? And, and, and you don't have to be a well-trained professional. You don't have to know all the right words to say. Matter of fact, a lot of times the words are the thing that gets in the way of people getting help. What they really need is just your presence, not your words, right? So I think it's true. I want you to think about this. I think it's true of all of us that at our core, even the toughest guys in the room, the people who are cynical, right? All of us in the room, all of us out there watching, listening, however you're doing that, Here's the thing that's true of all of us. We all crave, and I do mean that word crave. We all crave to be loved, to be celebrated, to be noticed, to have somebody acknowledge that we exist, that, to have somebody pay attention to us. Can, can you imagine how this guy feels 38 years? I had no one, not one single person who cared enough to help me get to the water, to get to the place where they're supposed to be helped. There are people in this room 
people on your rows, people you're going to talk to on your way out the door today, people you're going to wave to, people who are online today, people who have been here in the last few weeks that are aching at a soul level for somebody to know where they're at. It's almost a physical ache to connect. And here's what we do. We know how to connect externally through, through media platforms, but we have lost the art of caring and connecting at the most important levels, face to face. So you have to be willing to care. And then secondly, you got to be willing to help. So, so compassion is great. That's a great starting place. But you have to move from feelings um, and good intentions even to action. I, I bring this up. Because I know how my mind works and probably my mind, my mind might be a little bit like yours. I think one of the great dangers for us who are believers and who us, even if you're not a believer, but you just want to be a part of the, of the process of helping, is this bit, in this business of compassion is, is our capacity, my capacity for self-deception. So like, I'll tell you how that works for me. Like I can see, man, there was an earthquake in this foreign country. There was, a, there was a terrible flood over here and people lost their lives and people lost their homes. And I can see the pictures on the news and go, God, my heart breaks for those people. And the very fact that my heart breaks for those people becomes the only thing that I ever do is go, man, I feel really bad. So I must be one of the good people. I don't have time to get into this, but sociologists call this narcotizing dysfunction. And the idea is the feelings that I have for hurting people, broken people, become a kind of narcotic, which actually insulates me from the feeling that I actually have to go do something about it. So the fact that I felt bad makes me feel good about myself, and that's all I ever do. Narcotizing dysfunction. You have to be willing to step up and actually do something because compassion, put this up here, compassion is taught by the writers of scripture is not primarily about what I feel, it's about what I actually, say it with me. So, so Jesus says in Matthew 25, truly I tell you that whatever you, what? Whatever you, you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you actually did it for me. So you take a cup of water to somebody who's thirsty you gave it to them, but you're actually doing it for Jesus. It's not whatever you felt, but it's what you actually did. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard this, when he heard that his, his, his really good friend John, his cousin, the Baptist, had been killed, he departs from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. He wants to go grieve. He wants to go rest. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, went out to get his rest, he saw a great multitude, and he was what? Moved by, with what? Compassion for them, and what? He healed them. The word compassion in the original text, I can't even pronounce it because it's too big of a word, but it means something like from the gut. You ever have something happen to you or to one of your family members that when you found out of it, it hit you so hard you felt sick to your stomach? Like that's, what Jesus would, what Jesus would feel when somebody with leprosy would come. He would feel their pain, not only physically, but emotionally. The loneliness, the isolation that they had endured by being a person with leprosy. When the woman comes with the issue of blood for 12 years, she's had this. She can't get around anybody. When he sees her, he doesn't just see that she has a physical condition. He sees that she has an emotional one. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He felt that. He felt her pain. So, so he, it's not enough just to be moved with compassion. You gotta be moved with compassion. Moved with compassion to action. Something happens for me 
when you walk a little while in someone else's shoes. I remember many years ago as a student pastor, every year we would gather blankets and coats and we'd go down in Houston and San Antonio when I was here and we'd give coats and blankets to the homeless individuals who we knew needed it. And, and so we had this truck full of them and they were coming all over the running, grabbing blankets, grabbing blankets. And one guy runs and we're already done. We passed it every one of them just like that. And the guy comes and he says, man, do you have any more blankets? I said, man, I'm so sorry. We just ran out. No blankets? Because it was about to get cold. And I said, no, man, I'm so sorry. I, and he goes, hey, there's some cardboard. Could, could I have that cardboard? Cardboard's warm. And I was just, it broke my heart, right? Because it's easy for me to see homeless people in the street. It's another thing for me to realize that cardboard is valuable to them. And then I feel I feel what they feel. Not to the extent that they do, but to feel what they... Something happens when you put yourself in situations that you feel the pain, the hurt that other people feel. So, so well, Danny, that's cool, but, but what, how do I actually do anything? Well, you get involved. There are organizations all over our community that are helping folks in the military, folks in, 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 the, in the common world just deal with their, their mental health, their emotional health issues. And guess what they need more than even money sometimes? People volunteers who will show up, who will help, the Salvation Army, at, the, at, at, at all of these places that we as a church are involved with, they need help. They need people. And you go and you, you get involved, volunteer and, and you be a friend and, and you have friends in your world and you, and you listen for coworkers who are like, man, it's just really a hard time right now. And you pay attention and you call and you text and you check in and you have coffee and you're like, but I don't know how to have the right words. Listen, the words always get in the way because we feel the need to say, ah, hey, you're going to be fine. It's going to be all good. Don't worry about it. I've been there too. Don't, you know, I, I felt like that one time. I ate more sugar and then I got some caffeine and bam, I came right out of it. And they're like, dude, no. No, that's not how it works at all. You don't know how I feel, clearly. There's something about presence. When people are going through their worst times in their lives, they just need presence. And they're going to want to feel isolated. And those of you who've been there, I've been there. You just want to be away from people. But what you need most is people. Lastly, offer hope. Can I tell you this? And you're going to say, well, this is self-serving, Danny. But nobody can offer hope like the church can offer hope because we are offering not our hope, but we're offering the hope of Jesus himself, right? The government can't offer much hope. I don't know if your guy's in the office right now, the president, or if your guy didn't make it. But listen, none of them can really help us all that much. Oh, well, you don't know my guy. Yeah, I do. I've been around a long time. I've seen all the guys. Well, you're cynical. You're right. Some of you are like, I'm not going to this church anymore, man. He doesn't like my guy. I don't like any, any I'm just, pray, I pray for all of them though. Come on, y'all, I pray for all of them. Come on, I gotta pray for him. Gotta pray for him. Gotta pray for him. Gotta honor him. Gotta honor him. That's, that's true. Um, but I don't, I'm not putting my hope in them. Like there are, there are medical people who can offer hope because they have therapies and they have medicines and, and if that's where you're at, you need to go do that. Please, don't have, let your pride get in the way of that. But the hope that's gonna get you through your darkest days, the hope that, that can say, even if I live with this, what I'm going through the rest of my life, even if God never brings me through this, even if like last week we heard 
you have to suffer the most devastating loss that, that is imaginable. If you missed last week, please go hear that. That I'm not going to give up anyway. I'm going to keep walking it out. I'm going to keep my faith high. If you're living with mental illness and some of you might be hanging by a thread, please, please, please talk to somebody who can bring hope. And you and I, those of us who might be in a situation where we're a little stronger than maybe we have been before, we need to be the purveyors of hope. It says in Hosea, this incredible book in the Old Testament, I don't have time to get into it. There's kids in the room, so I can't tell you what it's even about because it's crazy, all right? But Hosea chapter 2, 15, God says, I will transform the valley of trouble. The valley of Achor is the word, but it means trouble. I will, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. So that even when you feel like there is no hope, I'm in so much trouble right now, there's always coming a, a, a valley, a, a pathway of hope. And God has this track record of making a way for people who feel hopeless. And I want to finish here by telling you how you offer hope. I want to go back to our original text. The man says, I have no one to help me. And it's interesting to me and telling even that Jesus does not offer up a hand to the guy and pull him up. He doesn't offer him any help in that way, which is probably what you and I would have done. Hey, man, let me help you up. Jesus doesn't do this. Uh, he comes to him on his mat, the same mat, the same situation that this man for 38 years has wanted so desperately to escape. And instead of offering a hand, he speaks words of life and he speaks words of resurrection and he says, get up. Come on, that's resurrection theology, right? Like, get up. So here's what it says. The man, Jesus says to the man, get up. Number one, pick up your mat. Number two, and what? Walk. At once, the man who was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, y'all, I grew up Pentecostal, so sometimes I forget and I start preaching old school like I grew up, because back in the day, they yelled a lot. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you grew up in a Pentecostal church, we yelled a lot, and, and we liked it. Come on, can I get it? We liked it loud. Like, as loud as you can make it, make it like that. So I might get a little preachy here, so just give a brother a break, all right? So I want you to notice this detail Jesus tells him to get up, to pick up his mat and walk. And the guy does exactly this. The mat goes with him. Why? Why does the mat need to go? It's probably filthy. It probably needs to go in the trash. And Jesus says, pick it up and take it with it. Now, there could be any number of reasons, but I think that at least one of them is that this mat, which had been kind of a prison for him for 38 years, had held him hostage, has now changed from his prison to his testimony like like testimony that's an old school word for your God story like I was this but then God and now this this is my new story right and grace has come and rewrote this guy's story and Jesus asks him to carry his mat and 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 and, and it's a Sabbath day right the detail is, is, is important because him carrying this mat, you may not understand this, you're not allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath day and it's gonna get him in trouble with some people and if you keep reading, it does twice. And so why does Jesus ask him to pick up his mat and carry it? Because it's going to force him to tell his story. 
And he does. The mat which had carried him for so long is now being carried by him. You understand what's happening here? Hey, bro, why are you always walking around with that dirty old mat? Oh, this old thing? This mat is my testimony. So let me tell you about this mat. And let me tell you about the God who delivered me from the the hold this mat had on me. For 38 years, I was stuck on this mat. But then one day, grace showed up. One, One day, Jesus showed up and everything changed. And so God says, take up your mat. Because listen, here's why. Because God will never waste your pain. Why did this happen to me? God didn't cause it, but God is never going to waste it, right? He's going to use, here's the thing, and I get emotional thinking about this. He's going to use the very thing which was the very worst thing that ever happened to you. We call that your unfair advantage. Doesn't feel like a, an advantage, Danny. Well, it is, because, and I'll tell you why here in a moment. He's going to use the thing which was the worst thing that ever happened to you. He's going to use that so that you can help others who are struggling with the same thing that you've come through. So Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, say it with me, the Father of compassion and the God of all, say it with me, comfort, who comforts us in which kind of troubles? All our troubles. Now, that's the God part. All the way through here, we've been saying there's a part that God does. There's a part that you do. We've seen today that there's a part that we do. And here's the part that we do so that We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received. Some of the translations say with the same comfort. So so, so here's, here's how this works. As a believer, I am comforted and I am comforting. Do you see this in the text here? I am comforted by God, but now I am comforting so that the very thing that God helped us to get through when he took us up off of our mat, the same comfort that he provided with us while we were on our mat, so to speak, is the same comfort he's asking, he's commissioning us to go out and provide to those who've been where we were. And this is how you offer hope. You offer hope with your story. Not something theoretical out there. Hey, let me show you this verse. Those are great. Those are important. But what's most powerful to people who are suffering is, hey, I was just like that, but God brought me through. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was in darkness, but now I'm in the light. And that's the stuff that changes lives. And I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe this. The Bible doesn't say, but I'd like to believe that after Jesus heals this man, that maybe sometimes he'd go back and show up at the pool of Bethesda with his mat and walk down to others laying on their mats and say, you know what, man, I used to be just like you. I know your pain. I know how it feels to be stuck. I know the torment. I know all of the excuses, but you see this mat that I'm carrying around? This mat is my testimony. Let me tell you about my God story because I want you to know I will never let you walk through this alone because I've been where you are. When I got healed of this hurt, 
The first thing I wanted to do was take this mat and throw it in the trash. I wanted to get rid of the pain of my past. I wanted to create distance for me. I didn't want to remember all the things that had happened to me. I wanted to get rid of the things that reminded me of those 38 years of being stuck. But the one who set me free from the mat instructed me to get up, to pick up my mat, and to walk with it. He healed me, and he delivered me from the mat. But now my job is to find others who've been stuck on the mat like I was and tell them me too you're not alone I know you feel alone I know you feel ashamed I know you feel isolated I know you feel like you're the only one but listen me too I know about life in the cave I know something about being stuck on the mat I know something about grief I know something about loss I know something about depression listen I know something Danny knows something about depression and mental health issues. Me too. So we have this saying here at LifePoint, it's okay to not be okay. That's good, but it's not good enough. It's okay not to be okay, but what we say is it's not okay to stay that way. Can we walk through you with you through this season? Can we walk with you as you make your way out of this season? I want to shine some light into your darkness. I want, to, I want to tell you something about the mat. But I also want to in, introduce you to somebody who knows how to get you free. Last week, Dr. Kelly Griffith shared her story with us. If you missed that, wow. But at the end of all of her emails, she puts Genesis 50, 20, which says something like, what you meant for harm, God turned it for good. And he used it. This is Joseph speaking. He used it for the saving of many lives. And Kelly got up here last week and told her, her, her story, which is so brutally painful. She's saying, I'm still kind of on the mat, but I'm willing to step up on this stage and have courage to share my story. And probably in our history, we've never had so much feedback, so many emails, so many texts, so many people on Facebook and Instagram saying thank you. So many people lined up to talk to, to Dr. Kelly about her story. And this is what I'm talking about. She told me, and she wouldn't be afraid because I think she said it last week. Danny, I felt so much shame because of what happened to me. My identity was mother. My identity was doctor. And both of those were sort of taken away from me. And I I felt so much shame, and I, but I stood up there anyways and told my story. Can I tell you the only one who left with shame was not Kelly. It was the devil. It was the enemy. Come on. Listen to me. You are not stuck. I don't care how stuck you feel. Look at me at home. I don't care how stuck you feel. You are not stuck this way forever. There is a change coming. There is hope coming. There is help coming. You gotta do you. You gotta do your part. Everybody, you gotta do your part. You gotta take the next right step. There's a God part that only God can do, but there's a group part. There's all of us, so we're doing our best to, to, to come alongside. And listen to me. If you've ever gotten up off of the mat of, of life, 
of sickness, of divorce, of grief, of mental health issues, of depression, of suicidal attempts or suicidal thoughts, then don't allow the enemy to shame you into not telling your testimony of how God brought you through. Don't let shame or guilt or humiliation keep you from your testimony. God is going to use your story in a way that he, he will use my story in a different way because your story is different. You came off a different mat than me. And I don't have the mat that you have. And that's why your story matters. So last thing, last thing. Revelation 12 says, and it was already referenced today, they triumphed over him. This is the, uh, over the devil. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of what? Of their testimony, their God's story. So this is, this is foretelling of a time coming, but it's also foretell, it's telling us what is right now. There's the God part, which is that it is the precious blood of Jesus that washes away all sins. Come on, we, there isn't one person in this room who by your own good efforts can make yourself saved. You cannot do it. It is only by the cross that you and I are saved, but also by the word of their, of their testimony. This isn't about salvation. This is about overcoming him. The enemy who wants to use sadness and sickness and grief and depression and anxiety, the way we overcome him is by the words of our, what? Of our testimony. If you want to beat forces back of darkness warring against your mind, you begin to declare that you, you need to carry that mat with you all the days of your life. And you don't stop at getting up off the mat. You have to pick it up and you have to walk with it and you tell the story. And in the process of you telling the story, there's freedom for you. Kelly told me that during the week, I felt so much lighter after I told the story than I did coming in. There's freedom for you, but her story is going to provide hope and help for a lot of people. And that's what happens. This is why Jesus says, pick up your mat and take it with you. Because that's your story. And the hope, the anthem of hope is that God is always at work, even in the worst seasons of our lives, that God is never going to stop working. And we know, Romans 8, 20, and we know that in all things, God is at work to them who love him, to them who are called according to his purpose. There is going to be purpose in something that feels like there's no way there could be purpose. There's going to be hope delivered in a way that there seems no hope. I'm going to declare that over you in Jesus' name. Can you pray with me, Lord God? Thank you so much for this moment in time. And God, I pray, I pray, I pray, and I've been praying this week, God, that people would, would take just their next right step, that they wouldn't get stuck that they wouldn't think somehow, some way, something out there is going to magically happen and get me free. No, no, no. There's a you part, God. There's an us part. God, there's a you part, God. There's a, there's a me part. And then there's an us part. And Lord, when we all do this together, transformation happens and hope gets dealt out and, 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 the, and the lies of the enemy get broken and his, and his weapons against us have no power over us. And I pray that in Jesus' name that the power of God unto salvation would be released and that our word, the word of our testimony, God would be used to overcome darkness and shame and guilt and fear and anxiety and depression. God, when we all do our thing, our 
heart and we tell our stories. We do that best in groups, Lord. We, do, we call these life groups. We do that best there. God, help us to have the courage and the strength to do that, to trust you for our salvation. It's by your cross. It's by your grace. And when we put our faith in that and when we put our trust in you, we can be made right with you instantly, God. But then there's our, our part. We walk that out. We flesh that maybe in baptism, oh God. Maybe in just telling our story. Whatever it is, God, give us the grace and the strength to do that, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Would you clap your hands one time to the Lord? Amen. The band's coming up. They're going to sing us out here in just a second. But let me talk to you one more thing.